Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Well, they had all showed up early, long before start time. The tiny house was already filled and folks were looking around, everyone with the exact same thoughts and, and mindset. They were eager in anticipation for what they were going to hear today. No one told them what it said yet, and so they, they gathered, but word had spread of who it was from. The husbands, the wives, the families, the children, they gathered. It's the way the church usually happens once a week. But on this evening, my bet is that they all showed up early. Every one of them are in the same frame of mind. How do we make it through another year? How are we going to survive? How are our marriages going to survive? How, how do you raise kids in a day and age with all the unrest, all the division, all the things that are going on? What are we actually hoping for? And what do we hope with? And word started to spread around the city. Peter had written a letter. It'll be read this week. And if there was anybody in the first century that they desperately wanted to hear from, my bet is that it would have been Peter. You see, he was the one that had walked with Jesus, the the one that had the most speaking parts in the New Testament than anyone except Jesus. He was the one that Jesus talked to more than anyone else in the New Testament. He was the one of those those original 12, one of the, the very first disciples that Jesus called that he picked. He was the one that was just an average fisherman, and he gave hope to the average Joe, a lot of hope. He wasn't a scholar. He wasn't a a theologian. His failures are world known, but he's a man that gets it. He was the guy that decided to throw his net one day after there were no fish just because Jesus said, Peter, throw the net. And then so many fish hit the net that he couldn't, couldn't pull it in. He was the guy that walked away from the only job that he had of no significance except that that was what provided for his family to travel with this itinerant preacher for three years. He was the guy that was taken into that little house where the 12-year-old girl had died, who got to watch as Jesus touched her hand, and life came back into her body, and she sat up. He was the guy that was allowed to come up with Jesus on the mountaintop to see Moses and Elijah, two of the, the, the greatest heroes of all time of the Jewish faith. He was the guy that tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. He told Jesus it's a dumb idea. He's the one that said, Jesus, if they're going to come for you, I'm going to be there. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to, I'm going to die with you, only to run away when Jesus was arrested. Later, he came back. He ran back to him, and he sat around a campfire outside where the trial was being, was being held, came to his senses, only to be pointed out by a servant girl and start cursing the very name of Jesus while Jesus was being beaten inside at the high priest's house. 
He was the guy when, when Jesus rose again at Easter, just like he'd said three times that he was going to, that mentioned, that Jesus mentioned by name. He said, tell the disciples and Peter that I rose from the dead and I want to meet with them. Yeah, Peter, he's, he's going to think he's not invited. He's going to think that he's blown this one for the last time, but mention him by name. He's the one that's going to get this. Peter's the one who was imprisoned by Rome, by the Roman Empire, which owned everything at this time. Nero's made it open season for persecution on Christians and on the church. Christians are the number one target. Families gather in these home churches wondering who's going to be next, wondering if the door is going to be kicked in, wondering if everyone in this house is going to be, is going to be arrested or, or, or killed simply for showing up. They were told Jesus was going to come back, and now it's been 30 years, and they're starting to lose hope with all the chaos, all the things going on. And word came, Peter had written a letter. See, they didn't have the New Testament like we do. They didn't have the words that we have, especially the ones in red. And after 12 verses, there's one word that changes everything. It's a game changer. And I want us to sit in that living room in the first century, and I want us to go back, and I want us to, to realize who's writing this, who is this from, and the importance of his words. I don't know if he knew that he was writing Bible at the time. I don't know if he knew that he's writing something that over 2,000 years later, we would be sitting here on a pool deck in California on the other side of the world studying. I don't know how much he knew that the Spirit was guiding him. The words that he was, that he was telling them that day were, were in that age were so important, important for our singleness, important for our marriages, important for our families. But we're going to look over their shoulder at the Word of God that Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We've covered 12 verses over the past two weeks. And if you weren't here, you can always pick them up on our podcast. If you don't know what that is, come talk to us. If you don't know how to get it or you're having problems get it, let me know and we'll help get you hooked up there. So take your life notes, that little half sheet of paper that you were given when you came in. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll try and get one of the ushers to get you one. Take those life notes and let's start reading. Therefore, okay, let's stop reading. That's it. It's important to know, to understand the big therefore in your Bible. The book changes on that word. First Peter is only a few chapters long, but right now the entire book will change with therefore. Twelve verses we spent the last two weeks covering. Now we come to therefore, now then, because of that, as a result of what I've just said. 12 verses that set up something. The rest of the book will now go on, therefore. 12 verses where Peter writes and says, yeah, I'm Peter, the apostle, the one sent by Jesus to tell you these things. An eyewitness, the guy that walked with Jesus. Yes, I blew it. I got, a, I got it wrong a, a lot of times. But man, let me tell you about grace. And he goes, let me remind you, let me give you hope in a day and age when you're struggling to find hope. And in 12 verses, he explained a word that we call salvation, how to be salvaged, how to be redeemed, how to be made right with God, all that goes into being saved. He said, may I remind you of your God. You have a God in three persons. You have a God, the Father, that loves you in spite of you. You have a God, the Father, who knows that you're going to blow it. He knows that you're going to fail. Peter said, look at my life. I tried to talk him out of the cross. 
And Peter says, in spite of that, he still chose to love you. Way back when, before you were born, in foreknowledge, may I remind you, you've got the son, he says, who came to earth to die on the cross, to pay any price, any debt, any judgment that God has against you. And believe me, we've all taken our lives, we've all taken our will, we've all taken our hearts, we've all taken our desires from God. And whatever a just God demands from you, Jesus stepped up and said, I'll pay it, I'll cover it. And then Peter says, let me remind you, there's the Spirit of God. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save you and forgive you, he died to cleanse you. He died to give you a clean slate so that now the Spirit of God can be in you, the Spirit of God in your life, changing you from the inside out. 12 verses, and now he goes, therefore, here's your new life. Let me ask you a question. How's your therefore? Do you have a because of that? Do you have a point at some place in time on your journey where those 12 verses came, came to life in you. Somewhere where you started to realize who this God is, how much he loves you, what he did for you, how he wanted to redeem you, salvage you, buy you back. And you stepped over that line of faith and said, God, now I'm yours. Do you have a therefore? Our lives should be different as Peter's going to tell us throughout the rest of this book, our life should be different in view of those 12 verses. The rest of the book, he's going to start working through, and he's going to say, this is the new you, and, and he's going to say, there's got to be a radical difference. Do you call yourself a Christian, or do you follow Christ? Peter's going to challenge us with his words through the rest of this book. You see, calling yourself a Christian is real easy to do. Anyone can call themselves a Christian, but to actually follow Christ? And Peter says there's going to be a therefore because of salvation, because of God's forgiveness, because of God's mercy, because of how much he loves us. Therefore, let me tell you why we're different, he says. And he's going to bring hope to marriages. He's going to bring hope to, to families. He's going to encourage people with hope about how to live in a day and age where it feels like you're outnumbered, outmanned, and outgunned. My bet is when word got around that they got a letter from Peter, they showed up because everyone desperately needed some encouragement. So let me ask you again, how's your therefore? 12 verses changed how humankind operates. We used to be people, body, soul, and spirit, or body, mind, and spirit. We used to be people. Our body ha has urges and desires, natural cravings that affect our thinking, our thoughts, and we choose to act on that, and that sets in motion what we do, who we are. And Peter says, let me tell you now, God loves you. He died for you. He put the Spirit of God in your life, so now that Spirit is going to change how you think, and how you think is going to change how you act. It's going to change those urges and desires that you act out on. He took all of humanity and flipped it upside down. And as we start reading these verses, you're going to see pattern after pattern of, well, you used to live by this, but this is how Christ calls you to live. We live in a world that still 
encourages. If it feels good, do it. If you want to do it, if you enjoy it, do whatever you want to. However you feel is okay. You've got to be true to yourself. The world still encourages that. If you enjoy it, keep doing it. Don't deny yourself any natural desires or any natural urges. I mean, be cautious and be kind to others, but basically do whatever it is you want. And that's how humanity, that's how the flesh, that's how the world looks at things. And Peter says, now that you've stepped over that line, if you gave yourself to God, if his spirit is in you, then everything has switched. No longer does your body, does your flesh control your thoughts and your thoughts set what you do. With the spirit of God in your life, you're going to change your thinking and changing your thinking, now you're going to master those urges, your desires, and it's God's spirit that will do it. There's a preacher in Texas I used to listen to a lot, like uh, Bob, and I can't remember his last name, I'll think of it in a minute, um, back whenever I was in seminary and I was commuting back and forth. And he used to say, Christ gave his life for you so that he gave his life to you so that he could live his life through you. People say, I'll live the Christian life even if it kills me. And, and this preacher used to say, don't worry, it will, because you can't do it. It's only by, by Christ's Spirit, by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit living in you, that you can do what God wants you to do. Therefore, and some of your Bibles may be different with this next phrase after the therefore. Therefore, he says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. That's how my Bible that I, that I have up here reads uh, the, the, the NIV. Prepare your minds for action. In some translations, if you're familiar with the old King James, it says, gird up your loins. Or in another translation, it might say, with minds that are alert, be fully sober. And this is one of those passages where if you have six different Bible translations, you may have different phrases there. And as I said, in the King James, it says, gird up your loins. And, and that's why modern translations kind of changed it there. Because if I came in and said, hey, guys, let's gird up our loins, you'd kind of look at me. Say, what are you talking about? You're going to barbecue? You know, I like a good pork loin. Gird? What does gird mean? Isn't that the thing where, you know, you eat too much of the, the barbecue sauce and, and you have a problem? That reflex deal? Folks, it was a word picture that everybody in the first century would have gotten. Gird up your loins was, was a picture for them. And you got to go back to that first century where, where those guys wore, their, they wore the robes. Remember, they wore robes and they were cool until you had some work to do. And then they were kind of, you know, they got, got kind of cumbersome when you had to, had to run or when you had to get some work done. So what you did is you girded up your loins. You would, you would take the robe and you pull it up and you'd, you'd pull it over, roll it over and kind of tuck it in your belt so that you could have mobility and you could move and you could get, you could get the work done. You're, you're free to run. You don't have to worry about ripping your skirt as you're trying to work. And Peter says, because of 12 verses in your life, because of a God that loved you and sent his son to die for you, not just to forgive you, but to clean you, not so you have a relationship with a distant God, but so that the very spirit and nature of God can be in you. Therefore, roll up your sleeves. Therefore, get busy. Therefore, it's a, it's a call to action. It's a motivation simply saying it's time to get busy. Gird up your loins. We try to write that in different ways. As I said, the NIV says, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled. Some, some may say fully sober. It's the same thing. Have a clear mind. Be fully sober. Have you ever noticed that drunk people don't make wise decisions? We don't like them to drive. 
You don't make good decisions when you're drunk. We don't make good decisions if we're under the influence of, of any substance. And Peter is using that very word picture here. He says, because of what God has, has done, it's time to, to have a clear head. I want you to have your, your head on straight. I want you to, to, to have a clarity of mind here. I want you to have your head in the game. And he's saying, I want to tell you what the new you is going to look like. Anyone can call themselves a Christian. He said, I'm going to tell you how to be Christ-like. And there's a huge difference. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to get a new title. But the Bible is full of things telling us how to get a new life. The title's easy. The life, gird up your loins. And you say, oh, I don't get drunk. I don't get high. I never touch the stuff. Do we? I'll tell you what we get drunk on. I'll tell you what we get high on. Greed. Relationships. Success. Affirmation. Self. Love. Politics. I know I'm meddling. Politics. On our body, our image. We get high on power. We get focused on these other things that confuse our decision-making. We get focused on these things that are not eternal. Now, that some of them may be good things. They may be great things and still not be God things. We can get inebriated on, on focusing after things in life and saying, this is what I'm all about, pursuing things, and this is the goal, this is my decisions. They're going to be based on this. And Peter says, let me tell you how you're going to live different. Let me tell you how you're going to prepare yourself. Let me tell you how you're going to, to be ready for action. You're going to be sober. You're going to be self-controlled. And he continues and he, and he says, therefore, and he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the third time in 13 verses, the third time in the book where, where Peter has mentioned grace. This is a guy that gets it, a guy who failed miserably. And he goes, let me tell you how to receive grace that one day is going to come when Jesus Christ returns. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Try it. It's a tongue twister. He goes, here's how you set your minds. Here's what I want you to focus on. I want you to understand that your life is, is now to be lived in obedience because of who God is and because of what he's done. And how do we know what obedience is? Well, let me give you four things here to prepare you for this new life. Four things if you're serious about saying, hey, I don't want to just call myself a Christian. I want to be Christ-like. I don't want to just say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian because I go to church or I go to chapel, you know, once a week or, or because I listen to Christian radio. Four things that are important to this life. First is this, hear the Bible. Congratulations, you're doing that right now. You've already got one of the four checked off. You're doing it. If we're called to a life of obedience, if we're called to following God, we got to know what the blueprint is. We got to know what the plan is. What's the mandate? What's the game plan? It's the very word of God. This is what I follow. This is what I conform to. We've got to continually put ourselves in a place where we're hearing the Bible. So you're hearing the Bible. Number two, read the Bible. 
Read the Bible. Number three, you may find a pattern here. Study the Bible. Study the Bible. There's a difference between hearing and reading. There's a difference between studying and reading. So hear the Bible, read the Bible, and study the Bible. This is how we get sober-minded. This is how we get clear thinking. So many of us come to the Bible and we go, hey, this, this, helps, this helps me with my mistakes. More importantly, this, this, this word will, will help keep you from making mistakes. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather avoid the mistakes, not have to go and learn the lesson over and over again. This is a book that says, Walt, here's how you live your life. Remember that Amy Grant song based on Psalm 119? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many of you ever stubbed your toe in the dark? I think we all have, haven't we? The rest of you are too lazy to raise your hands or you're lying, okay? We've all stubbed our toes before. Well, think about moving around in the dark 3,000 years ago when this psalm was written. Think about how much you probably stumbled around back then and how vulnerable your feet were. We didn't have steel-toed boots back then. You're probably wearing open-toed sandals. And, and you had these, you, just think about what you stepped in. Think about the potholes. Think about the animal stuff that was in the streets, on the roads, the paths. And, I, and if you look at this, I realize there's two completely different things that God's talking about here in his word. This book, God's word, is a lamp unto my feet. The very things that I'm struggling with right now the things I'm stepping in, the things I'm stumbling over, the things I'm stubbing my toe on. This book will help me with the immediate, with my current struggle, my current finances, my current relationships, the stuff right now that is taking its toll on Walt. God says this book in your life will give you a lamp to see things that you're, stum that you're stumbling with, that you're, that you're struggling with. And, and it's going to be a light to your path, a light to your path. Not just what you're immediately going with, but where you're going, what you're doing, the way ahead. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that great invention, you know, high beams and low beams, right? You need to see what's immediately in front of you, but sometimes you need to see the path. You need to see what's, what's coming down the road. When I get that light on my path, it helps to make the path clear. So much of what we're struggling with in the long run doesn't even matter. Three years from now, the things, some of the things that, that, I'm, that I'm caught up in right now, three years from now, aren't even going to matter. 300 years from now, definitely not going to matter. There are very few things in life that I deal with or that you deal with that will have significance 300 years from now. Anything we, that deals with the word of God and anything that deals with people, that is what's lasting. That is what matters in the long run. God's word, people. In light of therefore, we've got to be people that are in the word. We've got to be people who are getting this into our lives. We live in a day and age where, where some of the best messages, some of the best Bible teachers, uh, some of the best studies, it's, it's, it's why I take the, the, the time and the resources to get the podcasts out there to help reach even, even more people, or if you're not here, it's so that you can hear it. All, it's available to us. You know, we can have it anytime we want it. But if you're just showing up for an hour listening to a message for 30 or 45 minutes on, on, on the weekend, expect that to come back the other six and three quarters of the days of the week, you're going to be outmanned and outgunned. Do you get this? Hear the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible, and then fourth, follow the Bible. 
You could say, do the Bible. You could change follow to do. I brought something to show you today, and it, and it comes out of a special box. At the risk of being considered a hoarder, I brought the box with me as well. Uh, this box you'll see has my initials on it. And basically, this is a box that contains a lot of stuff from my growing up years, from my childhood. And uh, this is, it's, it's in this box. I put important stuff in here. I've got my Boy Scout uniform, the Made Eagle Scout. I've got my, I've got my hockey mask from when I played play goalie. There's lots of stuff in here. My referee's jersey when I refereed youth league hockey. And there's other Boy Scout stuff and a, a flag and some stuff from when the men landed on the moon that are in here. But one of the things that is in here is this program from Friday, September 5th, 1975. It says the Vikings of Princeton, not the, not the university, it's a high school in Cincinnati, the Vikings of Princeton playing Grove City. And inside that bulletin or inside that program are some sheets. And this is mimeograph. How many of you remember mimeograph, the purple ink? Did you, didn't you love the smell of it? Are you going to admit that you sniffed the mimeograph fluid? Okay. I, I love to get, I love, teacher would bring in and go, ah, it's mimeograph ink. And, and the, the interesting thing is, here we are, I don't know, what is this, uh, 60 minus 40, over 40 years later, 40 some years later, this, this stuff still, I can still read it, whereas some of the newer stuff kind of fades. But anyway, inside there is this thing that says Grove City Meat Grinder Offense. Sounds very intimidating, doesn't it? Well, we weren't. We only won two games this year. Okay, but why is this important to me? It's because this was the playbook. This told me how to act on the field. It told me what to do. You see, I was a, a center. I snapped the ball. The play couldn't start until I started the play. And, you know, I had the assignment after that I had to block somebody. I guess the coach thought I was smarter than the guards. who All they had to do was blocking assignments, you know. But I had to snap the ball. I was pretty proficient at it, so the coach made me one of the centers. And if I snapped the ball at the wrong time, that was bad. If I didn't block my man after snapping the ball, that was bad. If I didn't know this book and had the play confused and thought the play was going right and they were going left, that was bad. It was important for me to study this book if I wanted to fulfill my mission as a player on that team, as the center. I didn't make up the plays like I used to in the sandlot when I was playing with the kids and you know, at the, at the empty field down the street. I didn't decide what play to run. That was the coach's call. I couldn't just decide to do what I wanted to do because the coach depended upon me to do the right thing. My teammates depended upon me to do the right thing. The people in the stands cheering us on, even though we hadn't won very many games, depended upon me to do the right thing. And the way I knew what to do was by knowing the playbook. Peter says, therefore... You've been living your life in this direction. You've been calling your own plays. But being a Jesus follower, you've got to go by his playbook. You don't get to make up your own plays. Because of the 12 verses, because of the understanding who this God is and what he's done and that he's redeemed you, he salvaged you, he bought you back. You used to call your own plays. Now you have the spirit of God in your life. You have his word calling the plays. And that's got to change your thinking. You got to be sober and clear-minded. It's no longer your place, but his. And that's going to control the actions of your body and what you do. You know, coach gave me a stack of papers. He said, you better know this, East. And now he's, God has given me his word. 
And he goes, I want you to know this. What kind of player do you think you are if you don't have any clue what the, what the playbook says? What type of Christian or Jesus follower will you be if you have no idea about Jesus and what he wants you to do? Are you still just living your life your way, calling your plays, calling yourself by a, a new title, and therefore has not been in your life? Peter gives us two examples to follow in this. I already started reading it a minute ago. He says, number one, he says, as obedient children. You catch that? Obedient children. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holiness is, is, is such a huge word. We'll, I'm not sure, but we'll probably cover that more next week in more depth. Right now, I'm just going to briefly describe it. Holy, another, another way to put it is, is, is sanctified, set apart, to be dynamically different. We have a God who is dynamically different, a God who is set apart. And he says, live your life like that as obedient children. Doesn't every kid want to grow up? and be like a great dad. Unfortunately, I think the reason Christianity trips so many of us up is because so many of us have been scarred, battered, abused, or even abandoned by a father figure. What was supposed to have been dad. And that's why when we come to church, when we, we, we hear about God being father, so a lot of us say, no thanks, you know, I've, I've tried that road, that road before. And it ends up being a barrier I think one of the greatest attacks Satan has ever pulled on Christianity is ruining men as fathers because it's the very picture that God uses to teach us about himself. He says, I am your father in the absolute purest, best, most awesome sense of the word. And a kid with a great dad says, I want to be like that. Peter assumes we're there. Peter assumes that you, you've started to understand grace and mercy and love and the forgiveness that God has given you. You've started to know who this, this Jesus is. And now remember, when he, when he writes this, it's only 30 years after Jesus' teaching, his, his life and his death and his resurrection. And these people got a glimpse of that. These people know that. And Peter assumed we're so taken by who our dad is. He says, be an obedient child. You're going to want to be like that. Well, what does an obedient child look like? An obedient child does what dad says. I mean, it's not that hard. You know what my struggle is? It's the same as yours. I'm going to call my own plays. I'm going to call my own shots. I want to do what I want to do. The natural man, the flesh, doesn't desire the things of the spirit. But these 12 verses in the beginning of 1 Peter, they mean that your entire life is different. Now we're going this way, and someone else is calling the plays. Someone else is calling the shots. And you and I are going to wrestle with that. But because of who your dad is, follow him. Because of the, the, the family that you've been adopted into, follow him. Because he didn't just get you out of hell into heaven, God got out of heaven into you. So be like dad. Be holy because he is holy. Peter goes, do you understand these verses? Do you understand what he, what, what he did, what God did to be called your father? Be like him in obedience, knowing his word. 
hearing his word, reading his word, and following his word. Know the playbook. Allow dad to call the shots. And then he gives us this example in verse 17. He says, since you call on a father, there it is again, God is father. Since you call on a father, and I love this picture. This, this thing is, is so predominant in the Bible. He's not some distant God. He's not just a judge in the sky. In fact, the word that Jesus used for father was not the formal father. It was the word Abba, Daddy. There's an intimate relationship that God wants to have with each one of us. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, in other words, no one's going to, to get off. No one's going to get special privileges. No one's going to be like, well, I've been in church longer than, than that person has, so I, I, get, I get extra kudos. You know, I had perfect Sunday school attendance. Okay, what are you doing with it? He says, no, we're all going to be judged impartially based on our faith and our obedience to him. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. That's our second example. The first example, obedient children. The second example, strangers. Some Bible translations say foreigners. Some, some translations say exiles. So live your lives as foreigners or strangers here in reverent fear. So how do you do that? Well, I submit to you it's more than putting a N-O-T-W you know, bumper sticker on the back of your car, you know, not of this world. Well, you're, okay, you're here driving. I hope you're here. You know, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a stranger here on earth? What's it mean? Peter says, 12 verses, then therefore, now you're a foreigner in the land. You know, Paul picks up on the same type of picture in, in his writings. You know, Paul, Paul was, a, if you recall, was a Roman citizen, and in that day and age in the Roman Empire, there was not a higher status that you could have than to be a citizen of Rome. It gave you perks. It gave you, it gave you things that, you know, it's almost like a, literally like a get-out-of-jail-free card, okay? And that's why the Jewish leaders had such a, such a problem with Paul, because Paul was born in Tarsus. He had, he had Roman citizen. He wasn't from Jerusalem. And Paul claimed his Roman citizenship. That's why they had to send him on a ship to Rome, to be tried, to stand before Caesar. And in his letters, Paul writes, he says, let me encourage you. He says, your citizenship is not on earth, but in heaven. This is a guy that understood the power of Roman citizenship on earth. And he says, man, that's nothing. My citizenship is in heaven. He says, you think Roman citizenship is primo? Try heavenly citizenship. Peter picks up that same picture and goes, no, this isn't your home. You're foreigners here. Well, what's it mean? What does it mean to be a foreigner here on earth? You have to understand, we were created for fellowship with God. We were created for paradise. That is our true home. And at times here, I think we, we, we should live with a little bit of homesickness for heaven. Not being so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, but we need to keep that in perspective. Being a foreigner means that I'm trying to do the, the godly right thing while the locals may be doing the opposite. Did you ever notice that there's two types of foreigners? There's ones who will change everything to assimilate and fit in, and ones who will do everything to say the same. If you live in the land as a foreigner, it's temporary. You can enjoy it, but you don't put down roots. You live with a temporary residency in mind. You don't make it permanent. From a military standpoint, when you're in a foreign land, 
We were always told that we were ambassadors. We were representing our country when we were in foreign countries. And we do that with great respect for the host nation. We realize that, that we're living among them without ever forgetting our mission, without ever forgetting our purpose. And part of our purpose was representing our country to the natives. And Peter is saying, we want to be an ambassador of our home country. We want to be an ambassador of heaven to those on earth with great respect to the host nation. And we need to live among people without ever forgetting our purpose for being here. You're called to a different life, a heavenly realm, to be different. We're going to be in this world, but not of this world. We're called to be different because our Father is different. We're called to march the beat of a different drum. We're called to have a different perspective, a different purpose, to be sober, clear-minded on things that are eternal and not get so wrapped up in the things that are temporal. We're called to be foreigners in this land. Let me give you two encouragements to keep you going here from, from Peter's words that, that, that the Holy Spirit inspired. Number one, here in verses 18 to 20. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Peter says, let me remind you why you're different, why you're going in a different direction, why your body doesn't control your mind and set your spirit, but why you let the spirit of God control your mind and clear thinking to control your body. He goes, because you were bought at a price, you were redeemed, you were brought back, you were salvaged, you were made right with God. And he says, that came at a price, not a, not a temporal price, not silver, not a bag of gold, not a bunch of land, not a castle, not a kingdom, not even a country. You were bought with the Son of God. You don't live in this world. You're no longer owned by this world. You don't revolve around worldly things. I wrote it down this way in your life notes. We were bought by heaven and are bound for heaven. We were bought by heaven and are bound for heaven. You're otherworldly. You're supernatural. Think about that this week. Let that sink in. You're supernatural. You're set apart. You're different. God didn't send his son to pay for something that's worldly and temporary. He's adopted us for all eternity. So don't go back living your life, your desires, claiming a title with no therefore. God says, I bought you to be in the family. We were bought with the heavenly thing, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He goes on and, and, and he says, this is, this is a complete game changer. This is how you now live your life as part of the family. God didn't save us for us to go back to our old lives. He didn't adopt us for us to go back to where we were and just say, hey, I got a new title. He says, you have a new life. You have a new destination. You have a new home. And lastly, verse 21, through him, you believe in God. That's through Christ. Through Christ, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Once again, to people that feel like, I don't know if I can go on in this day and age with all the persecution going on, all the, all the, all the, the craziness in the world, he's breathing hope, the purpose of his letter. And here's the second encouragement to keep them and to keep us going. 
We have a belief and hope that is living and real. We have a belief and hope that is living and real. It's not just a, well, you know, I, I hope things are going to get better. I hope the marriage works well. I hope the finances work out. Let me keep my fingers crossed. I'm thinking good thoughts. You know, I'll have a positive mental attitude. No. He says, I'm not telling you to have hope. It's the object of your hope, Peter's saying. Your hope is in a living God. Your hope is in the God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead 30 years ago. This is a hope that is confidence based in fact. You know this, that that's what your hope is in. Your hope is in a God that's going to live in you, that's going to change you from the inside out. And he says, the more you know this Jesus, the more you're going to have hope. The more you understand this God, the stronger your hope is going to be. It's a living and real hope. And that means sometimes the things that I'm looking at in this life, they really don't matter. The world may try to help me, make me think they matter, but they're not really things that matter to God. They're temporary. Sometimes I know this life is going to hurt me, but it's not going to break me. And so I walk through knowing this is not my home anyway. It's temporary. In 300 years, it's probably not going to count. I want to be a person of, of real significance. And for the rest of this book, we're going to start working out the therefore because of what God has done, because he saved you. Now then, let me tell you how this life is going to be different. Let me tell you how this is going to be a game changer. Understanding the therefore be different. Preparing for the new life be different. Two examples, obedient children and foreigners, strangers, you're going to be different. Two encouragements, it's, it's about being bound for heaven. We have a hope that is real. He says, you're going to be different. So let me ask you, how is your therefore? Is it just a title change or is it a new life? Peter says, it's a game changer. You're different and here's why. And over the coming weeks, we're going to flesh that out. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.